We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 374 of the Win in Six podcast, proudly a part of the Eurostep podcast network and the Blue Wire podcast family. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. Hello. Jordan, this is the earliest podcast we have ever recorded on your end. This is of your choosing, so... I ask people to just be a little bit forgiving of Jordan if he doesn't sound completely firing yet. Maybe by the end of it, would there be a bit more than there was at the start of it? I don't sleep. Podcasting (laughs) 24-7. Boom. And uh, other work commitments. (laughs) Other work commitments, for sure. Um, Jordan, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm a fan of the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know if you've heard. They're off to a great start. They are. Um, it's a good time to be a Bucks fan, like it has been for quite a while now. That Giannis the... Antetokounmpo? <laughs> He's pretty good, good. right? <laughs> Has anyone heard of that guy? Um... Yeah, the Bucks are 3-0. They are the only undefeated team remaining in the NBA. They have also played probably like 10 fewer games than the rest of the teams oh, in the else. NBA um, due to very weird scheduling, which... It seems like don't worry, the NBA are on the case. They're going to correct that immediately by having the Bucks play relentlessly for the next 10 days or so. But considering everything 
We knew going into the season, no Chris, no Pat. What version of the books are we going to get? They are far from perfect, and we'll get into all of the specifics, but we're getting a very good version of the team that is giving plenty of reason to be encouraged. So for you, Jordan, I mean, there's probably quite a few people listening who have heard you talk through this. We've watched two of the the three games together and with the, the wider GSPN crew on playback and with a lot of our listeners. So people may already have a sense of it, but I want to ask you, because it fluctuates from season to season. You know, people over the years of the podcast, they've heard the ups and downs of just how into this is Jordan this year. So where are you at on Book's excitement? I am into it. In as so much as I felt very fancy by saying like that. In as so much as <laughs> um, I don't know. I I just I I kind of the good vibes of post championship feeling still remains for me, and Giannis is just this. He's reached the the top of the pantheon. This is. Everything about him, even when he is struggling, as he did uh, in the first half of the Nets game. I know during the playback, we were just like, okay, when is this going to come? When is he going to start attacking? When is it just going to just start rolling like an avalanche? Uh, It started rolling like an avalanche right away. He scores the first bucket after halftime, just showing more of an aggression that we had seen all first half. And it's just that kind of... I, I can only say this about a few players when they have the size, the driving ability, just the sheer strength that Giannis has. Like we've obviously obviously seen it with LeBron, and as he's got it gotten older, um, this is pre-Lakers LeBron, to be very clear. <laughs> um, it to like know the patience and the timing of which like. I'm sure Giannis is not being like, I'm going to play like crap in the first half and then come second half. It's going to be all gangbusters. But I think it's one of those things where it's like you have that feeling out process and you're kind of played into the Nets' hands and how they were defending him, showing a crowd and bodies, all that stuff. And then it just clicks where it's like, I know I can get through these guys. You can send Nick Claxton on me. You can send Royce and Royce O'Neal on me do all these things and it does not matter. And that's the thing that I just think that always felt like the, like the, like there was obviously always just the, once that is unlocked, it was like, okay, everything else just falls into place for a long time. And the last, like, I don't know, obviously last season we saw that and going into the, into the playoff run, even without Chris and stuff like that, Giannis just still amazed and was marvelous and all this stuff. But now it's like carried over into the season where it's just, he's at such a peak of his powers where he can just, he can coast through a half of a basketball game, score 35 points in the second half. And it still be like his, <laughs> he had his fingers on everything on the game when that's not totally true, but by the end of it, it was. I think it's maturity, right? Because he doesn't panic. That's two, three years ago. If he wasn't as involved in the first half of the game in the fashion that he has been. Look, we'll, we'll talk about it. 
I like I kind of genuinely feel like Giannis hasn't been that good to start the season. And I'm gonna read out his numbers now for what I'm saying that he's averaging 36 points, 13 rebounds, 5.3 assists, two blocks on 67.7% shooting from the field, 40% from three. He really has not been that good by Giannis' standards. Um, like there is clearly multiple extra gears he can go to, but there is a level of patience, of maturity, perhaps some understanding too that he has to do more right now because Chris is still out. Uh, maybe even more so because Drew is not playing very well. We'll get to that. But he knows he can't do it all in the first quarter because he's going to be needed in the third and fourth quarter. And most of all, he's going to be needed. And we've see, certainly seen two of those games against allegedly quality opposition, the kind of teams we'd expect that the books could face down the line, the playoffs, where game is close. Game is close in the third and fourth quarter. And it's like you could go one way or another and Giannis does step up and the books come away at the win. So it is not necessarily making for the most attractive viewing right now. The Rockets game is an entirely different thing, but I, I think most teams who play the Rockets this season could end up saying something like that. Um, but he's, that's okay. Like it doesn't need to be the best version of Giannis right now. I would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive here and there. Um, just for the sake of making life easier for his teammates. I think in the first half, they do need to see him do a little bit more than he has been doing. But there is undoubtedly a level of balance and control there that was not a feature in this game before. We we saw the years, even like after he had ascended to MVP level, where the frustration fouls would come in and get him in a tough spot. There'd be the offensive fouls. All the things that are going to take him out of the game make life more difficult. He's not doing any of that. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing maybe one or two more offensive fouls called against him just by way of he's doing a little bit more of trying to get to the rim of I mean we'll, we'll talk through a number of key kind of details with the book's performance I mean the story so far we'll, we'll go probably deep in the defense in a second is there an absolute defensive force to start the season um, they are not just looking like kind of the first iteration of Bud's books not in approach but in outcome but they're actually very early on looking better than that so that's interesting we'll break down how they're getting there but the offense looks terrible it's i think the 24th ranked offense in the nba so far we are of course the caveat that needs to go with all of this we're dealing with very very small samples jordan very very small samples but the eye test will tell you the book's offense has not looked good and part of the reason that i feel like and, and the stat that stood out to me on that front is pace uh, the books are mm -hmm. 21st in the NBA in pace. And they're considerably down on the pace they played last year. I feel like that kind of begins and ends with Giannis right now. And part of that is like, they're not pushing off rebounds with the usual kind of intensity. The ball's not getting to Giannis as fast and he's not attacking, getting to the rim. I'd like to see just a little bit more of that because I think that's what really kind of opens up the books offense in a hurry. But again, you know, he's not looking like the best version of himself. 36 points, 13 rebounds, 5.3 assists, 2 blocks, 67.7% from the field, 40% from deep. Yeah. Um, he's good. 
It's pretty it's good. Very good. Um, I'm glad we didn't fall into the GSPN pitfall, and we we really we went right up top with Yannis talk. No, I think this is going to be my my calling card this year. I, I don't want to lose sight of this. Is my personal. This is not a a rebuke, a statement on how we just forget about Yannis. It's especially clear when you know Chris, as you we have to constantly mention Chris is not there. Joe Ingles is not there. Pat's not there. So we're dealing with, I mean, as we saw last night, I think nine guys played like decent minutes or. Yeah, nine guys total. That's it. Yeah. So this is what we have for right now. It's not going to be, I think we all knew that it was not going to be pretty um, for at least the first few weeks of the season. And it's just a matter of, my favorite phrase, manufacturing wins, you know. Um, I think that could certainly set, be said about the opener against the Sixers um, and so much so about the Nets. But, yeah, it helps when Giannis is playing as well as he is, even if it, even if you wouldn't say he's had, uh, well, the Rockets game notwithstanding, a complete just, like, <laughs> take over and just knowing not letting down at any point in the in games or anything like that so yeah we should probably um, the, the rockets game because as much as we're like you know it's the rockets so discounting it for that he had 44 points in 28 minutes yeah uh like never has it looked more casual 17 to 21 for the field it seemed like every time he got going to the rim it was an m1 he had like five or six i think we worked out last night on playback um, in that Rockets game. So, yeah, I mean, the Rockets are the Rockets, and you still have to go and do that. Not every star player is going to have 44 points in 28 minutes and True. make it look as easy as that. So as much as that's not the same as his performances against the Sixers and the Nets, you can't gloss over that either because it's part of the overall picture. It's part of what already, I mean, you're like, oh, yeah, these like this is Giannis's season again like this is MVP may well be his to lose if he's gonna start like this if the books can get back healthy and if the books are starting like this um really exciting things are to come because even on our on our last episode was might have been on one of the the joint previews on the book specific episode I think we talked about as a group you look at the schedule top of the season for the books it's pretty friendly like you would have worried if they had struggled based on what they did in preseason, based on the injuries and they didn't come through this overall stretch with a very good record. But I think now having got wins against the Sixers and the Nets, like you can take it right through to mid to late November when they play the Sixers again, you've got home to the Knicks, home to the Hawks, home to the Pistons, home to the Pistons, away to the Timberwolves, home to the Thunder, away to the Hawks, away to the Thunder, away to the Spurs, home to the Hawks, home to the Cavs. There's a real opportunity there for the Bucks to, I mean, get rolling. And that's probably right around the point too, then that maybe we see Chris coming back and the Bucks could be in a, a pretty commanding position because uh, I mean, also we, I don't want us to get sidetracked too much for this episode and what's happening elsewhere in the league. But I do think what we're seeing is there is a lot more parity. Like, yes, everybody can beat everybody except the books. And I, that's, that was kind of my feeling. Even our preview pods, and we were talking about win totals. And I was like, 
I don't know about 60 win teams this year. Uh, maybe I'd revisit that now. There could be one. But I, I think you'll have a lot of teams, high 40s, low to mid 50s, because there are a lot of good teams who are going to pick up their share of wins, but they're also going to lose games to other teams who are similarly competitive. Certainly that's the case in the East, but we're even seeing that in the West and maybe a little bit beyond what most people expect in the West. So I think the book's getting out to a good start like that and having a very manageable schedule in front of them um, creates a, creates a really nice opportunity for them to just kind of focus on what's new, what they need to continue to hone, but to also get the, the kind of validation from that by getting instant results. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to your point of the schedule, I mean, it's staggered enough where they have very few back-to-backs. I think it's two in like the first month plus. Um, they pretty much have, a, it's Mondays, Wednesdays, Friday. Like it's very just kind of friendly in that sense too. Not just, you know, the level of opponent that they're facing. Um, and even like the, the next two are a back-to-back. You've got the Hawks and the Knicks back-to-back, but it's a home back-to-back. It's home. Yeah, exa- exactly. So it's kind of just like, considering Chris, Pat, obviously Joe, Ingles being out too. They're banged up in that sense. It's kind of fell in their favor that things are situated they are with the uh situated in the way that they are with the schedule in that sense. For sure. Will we talk about the defense? Let's do it. Uh the defense has been absolutely incredible. If you have watched any books, it will come as no surprise to you that the books are the current leaders in defensive rating in the NBA. Small samples, Jordan. Remember that, small samples. But we are dealing with a books defense that is allowing just 98.3 points per 100 possessions so far this season. For context, second place is the Cleveland Cavaliers who are allowing 102 points per 100 possessions. Um, That level may not be sustainable, but also it might. (laughs) Also, it might. Um, of course, the big talking point uh, to come out of, you know, bud surgery and the fact that we had someone with slightly looser lips on the sideline of preseason <laughs> was was Charles Lee, given the game away that the Bucks were going to adjust their approach defensively slightly. It has been the bane of Bucks fans' existence for really, I was going to say, the Mike Budenholzer era, but it was also the bane of Bucks fans' existence for the Jason Kidd era. Scott uh, Skiles, Jim yeah, Bain, you could you could go back a long way. Terry Stotts. Of course, I am talking at. about the volume of three-point attempts that the Bucks would allow, and as a result, the volume of makes that the Bucks would allow. Um, the early returns on that, the Bucks are allowing the fifth fewest opponent three-point attempts in the NBA, twenty-nine point three per game, which that is, I don't, do you know the mark? Do you want to guess the difference, Jordan, from last year to this year? Oh, I think they were like allowing like 45 a game. Not quite, um, <laughs> but they were last in the NBA again by yeah. a comfortable distance, allowing 40.6. So that was over 11 fewer three-point attempts per game. They're allowing through three games. Um, it's not just attempts either so last season they were giving up 35.6 percent of those three-point attempts were going in 
So far this season, it is down a 31.8%. So, mm. can Jordan, very small samples. But the books are doing a much, much better job of limiting three-point attempts. And it would seem like they're doing a better job of contesting too. I know that's noisy. I know it can be very, very tough. Luck can factor in in a significant way, as we've had to say a lot over the years as we try to find ways to talk around the Bucks' approach to three-point defense in the past. But so far, so good. There's very positive signs there. And what's most interesting on that is, I think it's some of what we kind of speculated about before the season is, okay, so it's one thing to say they're going to make an effort to limit opponent trees, but what does that mean and how does the rest of their defense look look like? The truth is they are maybe getting even more joy out of it because you're taking away three pointers and opponents are reacting by relentlessly driving at Brook Lopez, which Maybe the worst idea in the entire NBA. Stop challenging Brooke Lopez, dear NBA. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, I just just for it. people, Jordan was performing there as if this video is available for everyone. It is not, <laughs> but for those of you listening, for you, Adam, <laughs> that was Jordan like a preacher delivering a sermon, just plucking up the microphone, holding it. He was prepared. He was ready. Um, yeah, this is this is wild. Brooke has been phenomenal, but the extent to which teams are just... I, I just It seems so, so stupid. I don't understand why they keep doing it. Brooke has blocked 4.3 shots per game, um, true three games, and the amount of shots he will have contested, affected at the rim, is through the roof. Like... He doesn't have eight blocks per game, but in effect, that's kind of what it's been like to go up against Brook Lopez. So part of the trade-off, and honestly, it's something over the years where we've always said, look, you've got to give up something. So if they're not giving up trees, they're giving up at the rim, and they're not. (laughs) They're not. I mean, the mid-range is there, but most of these teams are not currently programmed to want to take that shot all of the time. And what the books are doing is not something that the majority of teams in the NBA have the personnel to do so far, but when you've got Brooke Lopez and if they can continue to prove to be as disciplined at defending the three point line as they have to start the season, it could get really, really scary for opposing teams just to, as how do we score against this team? And we've talked about the defense here and like, I don't think we've really even mentioned Giannis's name as just, again, like the kind of free safety there, which Honestly, he may have even more of that role with this scheme than he had in the past, which, again, is just going to cause havoc for opposing offenses. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, the old saying was you can't take or you, you have to live with something. You can't take take away everything. Uh, this year's Bucks team is saying, yeah, we can take everything away. We will do that. <laughs> it is mind boggling the amount of challenges that players will take on Brooke Lopez. Not knowing that, yeah, like, OK, he didn't play that much last year. Let's test him. Can he do this over the course of an 82-game season after a back injury? If I'm an uh, opposing team, it's a fair question to ask because you don't want – you see Giannis over there. You see Drew Holiday over here. You see it's not still – it's not the way you'd test him, though. Like, if you're I, – I understand people drawing up game plans right now being like, let's see what Brook Lopez is like. But I would think you are trying to pull him away from the – the rim you know test his mobility as much as anything be like can we get it that there's any space between him and you're you're taking him on the move as opposed to just because look even if his back had taken something away which like by the time all said done maybe it had like he's a big guy late in his career who had a serious back injury he is massive like he is really tall he is really long he is really strong like under any circumstances, it's not a good idea. It feels like teams are working off the scouting report from like 10 years ago on Brooke, which wasn't even necessarily right at that point. No. I don't I that's the thing. I don't I I would not agree with that personally because I watched him up and up and close um for the last four plus years now, and it's never it's never changed when he's in the game, he's going to challenge shots, contest them. He's it's not just that he's big. He's super long. We talked about this in the finals when the idea of switching and, you know, are you going to leave him on an Island? If Chris Paul's doing, you know, trying to dice him up and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, cause he's a mountain. <laughs> he's yeah. literally a splash mountain. So it's like, in that sense, you trust him. And the fact that it's not that the Bucks didn't trust him, but he was, the ultimate security blanket. I mean, this this year through three games, small sample size, I understand. Um, it's just different in the sense that everybody else is locked into their roles. There's been a great communication. It's very, I mean, when people lose assignments or, or uh, struggle getting back in transition, that stuff happens and it sucks, but it's like, yeah. But you're not... We, I would say through this point in the season, again, three games, it has not obviously not been a lot that it's 
been when those moments happen, it stands out glaringly um, more so than any other time. So in that sense, like everybody is locked in the communication is there defensively. Obviously that helps with having continuity, uh, the team or continuity within the team for so at a great rate this year. But with Brooke specifically, it's like, I just, it's, I wonder if they're just doing all this to be like, we're going to make you a defensive player of the year candidate. Cause it just like, it just everything is falling into place where he is just the linchpin to everything that they have always done. And it's just so standing out in this incredible way through three games. Like I remember making the case, I think it might've been the year Giannis won his first defensive player of the year. The Brook was the best defensive player on the books. And it was certainly there have been two seasons where I felt like he should have been getting real votes. One of them, I it was inexcusable. I think again, it was that season that he wasn't like top three. Really like it's, it could just be that it's undeniable this year. If this keeps up, if he stays healthy, is really the biggest question because it's like what he's doing is not going to change otherwise. It, like if this is what the books can continue to do defensively in other areas. And it leaves teams having to take this tact. Like, Brooke is just going to annihilate teams. Yeah, Brooke he, got he, four four votes for defensive player of the year in 2019 20. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, he you is wanna, unsurprisingly you hear some other names? The, books, the books leader in the very noisy small sample size uh, defensive rating. Uh, the books are giving up 89.2 points per 100 possessions of Brooke Lopez in the floor to three games. Do you want to hear some other names that he was uh, alongside? <laughs> I, I don't really want to. I feel like this, this is going to anger me. But quick, go on. Oh, yeah, I will. Andre Drummond got a, um, five votes. I Bye. think that was when he got, he got traded from the Pistons to the Cavs, right? That year? Five votes for Andre Drummond. Kawhi got five. Um, Hassan Whiteside got three. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. I can't do that. Hassan Whiteside and Andre Jones combining for double the votes that Brooke got. Disgraceful. Um, let's hope we don't get a repeat of that this season. Let's hope Brooke keeps this up. The books keep it up defensively. And he'll be undeniable. I mean, right now, he's playing like someone who could be, you know, forget about it, Rudy Gobert. First team all defense, Brooke Lopez. That's... <laughs> Nothing would make me happier. Out of regular season outcomes, I don't think anything would make me happier than Brooke having the kind of season that gets him that level of recognition. The kind of thing that individually goes on his resume as a book. Because it is something we all know, having watched in the moment, just how integral Brooke has been to this team. But 10, 15, 20 years ago, I feel like that's going to be lost to time in a way that people will just look at the basketball references of random players and they'll see a guy who was the Nets all-time leading scorer, who was a 20-point-per-game big in New Jersey and Brooklyn, and they'll say, oh, he fell off and he was on some good teams late in his career. Kind of in like a a Bob Lanier way to give a a Bucks comparison of the guy Bob Lanier was with the Pistons. He was a level above Brook, but the same idea to then you look at his books numbers on a really good, competitive, well-rounded team. 
so I, I would love Brooke to have the kind of season that can get him something to just kind of stamp that for him as an individual, uh, because I think he deserves it and he deserves it kind of as an overall mark of what he's done. And also, given given his contract uh, situation, his future, he has all the motivation in the world to have a massive year like that. And honestly, from a book's perspective, it's a good problem to have. If Brook can show he is still at that level, well, then he takes away one of the bigger concerns for the books into the next kind of couple of years. If you can have some real faith that, oh no, he's still got it. Like he's he's still the guy that you need him to be. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to go next? Any specific element to play, Jordan? Any other players you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. I, I could keep staring if you want. So I just want to give you a chance if you've got something. Are we talk about Drew? Uh, let's leave Drew and keep talking about some good things. And we'll get to Drew. Okay. Okay. I want to talk about George Hill. Um, George Hill was certainly a topic of a lot of discussion amongst books fans from late last season into this season. We know what his injuries are being like. We know it just, it essentially hasn't worked since his return to the books. Um, the player that the books traded away, who was just a pivotal piece of everything they were doing. One of their best playoff performers, one of their most dynamic players in terms of offering excellent on ball defense, great passing options, and an off-ball scoring threat, most of all, particularly with his cutting and um, his shooting as well in his best year with the Bucks. At this point in his career, it was a lot to expect him to be that version of himself, but last year he was so off the pace. Uh, he has kind of hinted himself that he did contemplate retiring, but didn't want to go out like he would have if he'd retired after last season. And it certainly felt like the majority of Bucks fans wanted him to retire. I'll speak for myself. I think you're on the same page. I was never quite there. Like he has been, he has been bad, but I, I do think that went way over the top and he became this scapegoat that was much larger than anything he was contributing even negatively to the books last season. Um, he has been excellent to start the season. Like by whatever way you want to measure it, his impacting games is pretty undeniable when he's in there. Um, his performance level is very, very consistent. So he's averaging 24.7 minutes per game, and that's the best place to start because, one, George Hill's availability has been an issue, but right now with Pat out, Chris out, the books really need George Hill to give them 25 minutes per game, and he's doing right around that. Um, averaging seven points, two rebounds, 3.3 assists to just one turnover. That is an interesting yardstick to look at too because throughout his career, that's kind of been the mark for George Hill. He was traditionally a three assists to one turnover, kind of assist to turnover ratio guy. And if he continues to do that, that's a good sign. And again, we're dealing with very small numbers. We started the season shooting well. 77.8% from the field, uh, 50% from deep, which is two for four. Very, very positive signs. And the one thing that is interesting to me and that has kind of jumped out is um, he is the early season books leader in individual net rating. He is also the books early season leader in individual offensive rating. Books averaging 
our book scoring 119.7 points per 100 possessions with George Hill on the floor, which second on that is Jordan War at 113.9. So there is not a lot. I will say, I see your face there, Jordan. Looking at numbers this morning, uh, even just basic numbers, Jordan War has started the season a lot better than it's felt like watching Jordan War in games. So maybe that's something to monitor. Um, but as for Hill, good things are happening when he's out there. I think there is a case that he should be out there a little bit more. I think there are some things like we, we talk about what is there for the books and what's not. Maybe we'll also get to Javon. Javon Carter as a starter at the moment, which has worked interestingly and kind of pretty well matchup wise without Javon having the best start himself. I do wonder if Javon is ideal for pairing up the offense and if that is having some effect on what we're seeing but what george is giving them is vital right now like it's it's not quite the level of what he was once doing for the books but in terms of replicating what was the scenario from then which is look we just need you to give us this and be consistent the very early signs this season are encouraging yes good things happen when george hill is on the floor um yeah, I I I definitely was not one of those people that looked at him as get him off my team. I don't want to see him play another minute for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I don't know who that was, but uh there's a lot of people, Jordan. A yeah, lot of people. A lot of people. I part of, that, of part of that too, though, I think is one, we know he's an old favorite of Buds, and people tend to just kind of I feel like push back against anyone who fits that label but also like what he's done what he'd proven to do as a defender throughout his career meant that even when we were seeing him at times last year he's getting tougher matchups than your average role player of that ilk maybe that was a mistake I'm still inclined to think it's probably not there's times that's a good decision George Hill was so badly hurt in a lot of different ways last year very weirdly handled by the books. Seems like he should not have been playing late in the season. No, like it's kind of if None you're out there, is... you get judged just because you're out there. It's like no excuses, you're out there. But he seemed to be in a really bad way. Where if he wasn't out there, everyone's like, Oh, we really missed you. We could do a George right now. And yet, when I'm being out there trying to play through it, you get the complete opposite thing. Yeah, none of that was a reflection on him. He chose to not. And his season prematurely gets surgery yeah. and stuff like that. Stuff that athletes do all the time. And particularly at that stage in their careers when they feel like there's not a lot left. Exactly. And it, and when you're playing for something as real as it, play for a championship every year as the Bucks have positioned and themselves to be. When you're him and you missed the championship, you were there for the near misses, you missed the championship and you're back. You want to be played a in a godforsaken bubble and literally had your. A, 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 not being facetious at all, a crisis unfold within you know personally and seeing Wisconsin like all the all these things just have boiled up in a, in a very real way that like yeah if you're playing basketball for that long you're you know racking up the miles and minutes getting older you're gonna feel some wear and tear and, and yeah he was just dealing with circumstances that were very unique to that year. And I don't think it was a reflection on where he is and what he can still do, in my opinion. 
and not to relitigate this, but they were not a they weren't a Javon Carter away from winning that series. They they collapsed after game five, and they didn't have it anymore. That was not down to George Hill or Javon Carter or Chris. Well, having Chris would have helped, but like it's still, yeah, those things existed. Blah blah blah. blah. In terms of this year, um, yeah, it's just it's one of those things where because the the starters specifically, not just Javon but Grayson has been off to a very poor shooting start. Um, he's still shooting, which I will happily take. But you want to see those shots go down. Having it's just an instant, you know, pep in the step of the Milwaukee Bucks to see George Hill out on the floor. He just makes timely plays. He'll push the ball up. That he, that's another thing too. He'll push the ball up really easily, whether it's you know the the hit or you know throw up passes like up the length of the court, or himself just pushing the ball and then kind of setting up the offense and everything like that. His defense, especially against Kyrie Irving against the Nets, was superb. He's fighting for loose balls. Looked like he may have screwed up his teeth or jaw or whatever at the end of the game. It's stuff like that that he like you look at the box where I think it was eight points, four assists. Yeah, eight points, four assists, two re- or three rebounds in nearly 30 minutes. And it's like every one of those minutes and seconds when George was on the floor, it was valuable to the Bucks. He just does every little thing that they need to do. Hits can hit timely shots, um, run the offense, all these little things that just like came custom to having George Hill since they made the trade for him with Cleveland uh, a couple years ago. Now can it's I, kind can of... Can I give you something he's doing just that no one else is really doing right now? Yeah. He's cutting. Yes. Like, there's... I have something in my head through these first three games, Jordan, which I'm aware it's probably going to sound a little bit insane, but I'll let you be the judge of whether there's anything to this where you can see the point I'm making. When I look at the Bucks' offense through the first three games, like structurally, functionally, in terms of how it's working, the player I actually feel like they're missing most right now is Pat Connor. Yeah. Because Pat does a really good job at, look, we know it's the same kind of sometimes nervous energy translates to the defensive end and leads to him just leaping through the air off his feet at every pump fake all the time. But that is a factor for Pat on offense, too, where Pat doesn't stand as still as often as a lot of his Bucks teammates. Um, George Hill is also inclined, prepared to move. I do feel like that is something that really is just pretty unusual for a guard, a point guard, a combo guard like he is, but is absolutely a feature of his time with the Spurs and the other guards that he was spending time on the floor with with the Spurs, it just became part of George Hill's game from a very early point in his career that made it a little bit different. It made it something that in Indiana with Paul George, Paul George could have a lot more of the ball and George Hill really knew how to optimize both what Paul George could do, but also what he was able to do by working off the ball. We're seeing that again. He is prepared to move. He is prepared to cycle around spots He's aware of spacing in a way that I think some of his books teammates need to start considering, which is not just, oh, look, no one's in the paint. We've got guys in the four quadrants. This is good spacing. It's not good spacing. If you're all standing there static 
And that means any pass can be easily cut off, can be disrupted because there is, there is no motion. You're not creating any separation. You're not giving yourself a chance to get that split second advantage that you need. Uh, George Hill is prepared to do that. And I, I think he's been making some really good cuts is the thing that has been noteworthy to me. And that is also something for Pat Connaughton. So I know how insane that sounds because obviously the books could do with their 20 point per game score. That would help the offense. But I do just think in terms of the functionality of the way the books are playing offensively right now, I feel like they need another someone out there. And part of that comes from what we talked about with Giannis earlier. I feel like if Giannis just attacks a little bit more consistently throughout the game, maybe it makes life easier for a lot of his teammates too. But also it's harder to get yourself to do that. If you've just got four statues out there, it's like, you're not, you're not actually doing anything. No one is moving. There's no real motion. So what's going to happen teams are just going to collapse on you in the paint because they don't have to really worry about much else. I, I like to see the books just kind of stretch things out a bit more. And I think George Hill's doing a good job of that, but it also makes me miss Pat Connaughton as a role player all the more already in this season. Yeah. I, I think Pat not having Pat is a very key point in that sense of someone just moving and not asking for the ball for shots and <laughs> um, very specific ways. Um, yeah, and George obviously will give that. And it's just, I don't know, when it's compared to guys like Grayson and Javon who struggled to drive and finish over the length of centers or crowds of defense and all that stuff, like, it's it really shows. And um, obviously clogs up the offense. It clogs up the paint. To your point of how t- uh, teams defend Giannis, too, like, that is – I wonder – when we get a bigger enough sample size um, and how long the starting lineup, you know, stays intact until Chris comes back. Do we see a difference in that um, in their productivity? Cause it's kind of been, even the Rockets game, I know it was like, a, like 13 and nothing at one point, <laughs> but it was still like, Oh, they're hitting shots, but it's not like their offense is designed to, if they're hitting shots, it's still going to look the same if that makes sense. So I think for them, they need guys like Pat, they need George, even Drew. I know we don't really think of him as that because he's such a focal point in the offense and stuff like that, but his ability to move and to kind of work the dunker, Bobby, like it's still little stuff like that that kind of obviously makes the offense key and really drives it up to what it's intended to be. Um, but I, we'll focus on what shots they're missing and the three-point attempts and all that stuff that that's going to fluctuate all the time. It's a matter of keeping the motion going, keeping the offense afloat, and kind of just – it's the idea of playing random. When you're when you're playing static and you're just standing around for – I'm going to – I want to hammer this part I, It is It is technically what has emerged – the books understand play random to mean, but I just I still know how people receive that. I don't care. State. I love it. I love it. It is. A, it is. That's what they want. What, what What they mean is they don't want to be predictable. Like, which let's not be predictable. 
being on a whiteboard or whatever it was would never have become a talking point. People are like, yeah, that sounds like a pretty, pretty sound idea there to not yeah, be sounds like a meeting for a uh, tech company. Play, play random, ra- play random, really upset people. I know still does to this day, but you are right. But they, this is the true spirit of what the books mean by play random. Yeah. And again, I think you meant hit it on the head is that any people will, uh, look down in the authority and the person that's instructing all this when he's saying play random it's like what the hell are you saying but it, random's a bad word you both could just cut it up better but it, i don't think it's i no i don't think it's a bad <laughs> word in this sense i will i'm dying on this hill um i'm running up that hill i watched stranger things season four oh, i <laughs> i just think that is for how long we just complain about their offense and it's like okay someone moved stop standing around and asking for the ball and then you're gonna miss a shot that you're you're taking 20 seconds early of the shot clock it's stuff like that that's like play through the offense when you have the chance and when you have numbers blah blah blah, blah. like i just i don't know i think i have i'm a play random stand pod random um yeah <laughs> Shout out to Rob. Um, this is maybe a good point to transition to talking about Drew. Because I feel like Drew has been guilty of standing a little still. I feel like Drew has been off ball too much. Yet when he's been on ball, there's only one thing he's been doing. And that's been chucking up bricks, Jordan. Um Something that feels particularly, I think, the last two games, and you get away with it against the Rockets. There are too many possessions where Grayson Allen is taking the ball up over half court and has the ball in his hand, and then the Bucs just aren't really initiating any offense because Grayson Allen has the ball in his hands. And I'd just like to see them get really disciplined on that and be like, okay, Chris isn't there. It's Drew or Giannis. Or if George Hill's out there, fine. It can be George Hill. I'd much rather it be Javon, although we saw in game one, Javon had some problems and he was tasked with that. Um, I'd still prefer it to be him than Grayson. But one of the real problems, aside from the fact that Grayson is not a playmaker, is not particularly convincing as a ball handler, is you're then also pushing Drew into this off-ball position where, again, if everyone's in motion, Drew can do a lot of damage there. But when everyone is kind of quite still, um and as it has been a lot you could have Giannis out in the perimeter I think if Brooks out of the game in particular that can become a problem if you've got no one inside as an option too it it just again you're I guess if you want to zoom out you'll go oh look no they're spaced well look they're all out around the the three-point line that's not it's not good spacing it's not good spacing to score um it's just kind of neatly dotting themselves out there and that for me is where I would like to see Drew have the ball more often and shoot considerably less often. I mean, I don't want them to not shoot. The books need him to take shots right now, but I would like to see him be a little bit more discerning. Um, again, he's another guy, like much like Giannis, he can get to the rim. He can get to the rim and be very successful there. We've seen the ups and downs of Drew finishing at the rim, but like he, he's not Dante DiVincenzo. He can get to the basket, and he's had really good success doing that. And I do feel the books just need a little bit of more, more of that peppered in to, 
open up kind of better looks for the likes of Grace and maybe see some more shots go down. The player who I feel is actually really kind of most telling on this is Wes Matthews. Wes has made crucial, crucial trees in two of these three games. Um, two important trees against the Sixers, one against the Nets. And his shooting numbers are not good. But what's happened is late in the game, the books are hitting shots when they matter. That's not a coincidence because as we touched on earlier, Giannis is really coming to the fore in the third and fourth quarter. Yep. And that that's why the books are hitting the big trees when they matter that are allowing them to win these games. It's because Giannis is already kind of doing the heavy lifting. He is softening the defense at those points and those shots are there in a way they're not when you're not really finding any kind of offensive flow as has been the case in some of the first half action we've seen so far this year. So Drew could help with that too. Drew could drive a little bit more, be a little bit more discerning with his shot selection. Um, I don't know, is it no big deal or is it a concern? Because either way, this is not like, we've never seen Drew like this. We have seen Drew like we have. this. We, we know he can be exactly like this. Yeah. Also hasn't helped, I mean, two of the three games he's had to go against James Harden. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving for considerable yep. stretches of time. Part of part of it's not the only reason, um, but maybe that just kind of and the starters being functioning the way that it has. It's been that is that is kind of life though. If you're Drew Holiday, if you're like a, the yeah. best defensive guard in your team in the NBA, most nights you've got like even by the time it's the Pistons, it's like okay, well he's going to be on K Cunningham. Like you're. You're going to have challenging matchups every night if that's your position and that's your skill set. Very true. Um, Yeah, I think it's, yeah, he he might not be, I wouldn't say he's the only person, but he might be the biggest uh, offender of the early uh, three-point attempts in the shot clock. If you're just, you know, you just passed half court and it's like, oh, there goes that position. Rook certainly is has been capable of doing that too. Um, it's all part of a play random, you know. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I. it would be great to see Drew sort it out, have more of a presence on the ball in that sense. He's made great play, plays. Obviously, like, again, we are not <laughs> – the Rockets game is sandwiched between a game, like, I guess the Sixers, who are pretty crappy, very crappy, um, and a game against the Nets, who are very crappy, very crappy. Um, so maybe we should think of the Rockets in the same esteem as we hold those two crappy teams. Um, <laughs> but that first, I don't know, quarter, first 10 minutes of the first quarter against the Rockets, where Drew is literally snatching the ball away from like Kevin Porter Jr. or, or Jalen Green and just like looking like, a free safety cornerback just stealing the ball away and just scoring at will. Like that's the stuff like we talk about that with Giannis, but like when Drew is everything's clicking on all cylinders, he is that kind of guy where he just can, it doesn't matter if he's having to finish over Jared Allen or um, uh, Hashim Thabit, he will go at the rim and, and and do his stuff. So Jordan, yeah, who's ashamed to beat by for now? I don't know. I just wanted a, a funny name to throw out there. Um, 
but yeah, I I would very much it's like to see the, Drew it's Holiday. The, the, the Sichuan Blue Whale. So it's more Eric Bledsoe that's going to have to worry about ah, yes. over his shame to be. Oh, man. You just brought it down. I'm just reporting the news. Yeah, it just made me sad. <laughs> to bring it back to Drew, to bring it back to our current point guard who is struggling with his shot selection um, yes. and his early shot clock trees. And yes. for three games, Drew has taken five three pointers in the 22 to 18 seconds remaining on the shot clock range. He <laughs> is like, that's really bad for three games. That is wow. Rough. He is one, one for five on those attempts. Man. Yeah, those are those are the definition of no, no, yes shots. <laughs> They're mostly no shots at this point. Yeah. Those numbers spell out. Um, if we want a quick fire, then like, I think Bobby has been very mixed so far, but his shooting is good, and that is no small thing when we talk about like how Drew is shooting the ball, how some of the other guys are struggling. Um, I think it's an adventure with Bobby kind of corralling rebounds, but he is successfully getting quite a few of them. And um, there is a noticeable drop off. Just I don't know if you've notice it feels like it's based on positioning more than anything and it feels like someone just needs to adapt the brook okay we need to box out here row when it's him and Giannis out there together and brook is on the bench I, I feel like through the first three games it just kind of feels like everybody moves out and both Giannis and Bobby are like coming to crash the defensive glasses if there's someone there who's clearing out and making sure there's a pad open for them to go and get it and there isn't so I, that's something that I think I'll keep my eye on with those two. Um, it feels like something that could and will be worked out pretty easily and could make a big difference to their minutes of Brook on the bench. But uh, credit to Bobby, particularly against the Nets, massive performance that really helped the Bucks to win. And if he can keep up shooting the ball like he has, which there's no reason to believe he won't. It's been a staple who he's been for the Bucks. Um, that will be massively important to the team all season long. Wes Matthews, as I said, big shots. Um, some impressive possessions defensively, too. Uh, I think it was Ty who threw it out there in the chat last night. Like, do we talk enough about the fact that the Bucks just made Wes into PJ Tucker's replacement when he returned to the team? We probably don't, but that is very much the case. And on Wes's best nights, you're getting a lot more offense out of him than you were out of yeah. PJ. I think overall, you're probably not getting the level of defense, but the margin is not that massive. Like, Wes it's is a trade off that you're willing he's to He's a make. terrific defender. Like, he, yeah. And just, you know, maybe more naturally versatile defensively, too. I mean, sure, you could put PJ on an opposing point guard, but any space is created. PJ is not going to be able to, to keep up in the same way that Wes is, you know, notoriously, Jordan. He is zippy. So he does find ways to move his feet, stay in front of opposing players. And kind of what you want to see from Wes Matthews has largely been there so far. I think, again, if we're looking for his shooting to per, to improve, his offense to improve, part of the onus on that has to fall on Giannis and Drew opening up the floor. And it might just be something we see more naturally as Chris and Pat come back too. Um, Jordan Mora. Did, did you feel Jordan Mora has been doing good things? Yeah, I have. You did? Okay. Yeah. I really don't. But the numbers tell me otherwise. So I don't think that I, I think 
I think you would be, I think both ways are right. I don't think there's anything discernibly different about how the way he's playing. I think maybe defensively, it's a little bit more engaged. I don't see, as I was talking about a little bit before, I don't see the same lapses that are just like apparent with him or um, just kind of giving up on transition stuff. I, I know there's one play in the Nets game specifically. I think that was kind of, it was a, a, a joint effort, but he was definitely a fender of losing someone in transition and they break free and uh, or lose numbers or lose track of guys. And it was just like a wide open three that he was the closest guy to. Uh, maybe that was Jordan's fault. Maybe it wasn't. It would be typical of what we've seen of him so far. But through the first three games, I think he's hit shots when they needed him. Um, he has he has a stood out for the bad plays entirely, um, which is kind of, I mean, that is progress. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, again, you, you need someone who's not going to be afraid to shoot. I think that is kind of where I'm at through this point of the game or game through this point in my Bucks fandom slash um, this season so far is that it's just so apparent when Grayson's driving into no man's land and literally has no backup plan and just tossed up the ball to no one in particular. Javon's just struggling beyond repair. And it's like, ugh, you want to see that good, good fortune still <laughs> uh, flowing from when he came to the Bucks last year. Dora Ward is going to play when the Bucks are without Chris and if he's playing the way he has, and it's not like, you know, standout numbers, but if it's just, you know, you're making your, the machine is still running smoothly with him on the floor. That's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. I, I think the one thing for me and why it surprises me that even the shooting percentages are as good as they are. I still don't feel like the books know what to do with him or he knows what to do on the books. And He's definitely not afraid to shoot, but he could stand to shoot a little bit more. I think particularly right now with the the kind of with who's available for the books, with the makeup of their team. Um, he's averaging six points per game through 16.7 minutes in these first three games. 53.8% for the field, 66.7% from deep. That's a two three-point attempts per game. I mean, one attempt every eight minutes for Jordan Moore in the game. I, I don't want to encourage you so much that it goes to the opposite extent, but I, I do think if he's out there to get the most of him, like if he's having a good night even to take advantage of it, you're going to need him to be shooting more than one tree every eight minutes. So that's something I'd like just a little bit more of. He's very much, I don't know, he's blending in. You You mentioned his mistakes aren't as noticeable. He's blending in and almost disappearing when he's out there. That's not enough to sell me that things are better yet. I don't. I don't want him to not be noticeable. Yeah. I, I like. Sure, it's better than him standing out for doing terrible things. But at some point, we do need to see him do some quality things. It's. It's not a big ask. Most teams with the role players, like if you're a regular role player for a team, you are going to make an impact with some really noticeable things like tonight. And I do think Ward does have a habit of really blending into the background, where you could easily be like, "Oh wait." Jordan was in the game. I didn't notice that. So we'll we'll see how that one progresses. Again, part of that might just be him trying really hard to not kind of do anything that stops him from 
kind of being a seamless fit within the books. And this has been the concern for quite some time. I don't doubt his ability as a scorer. I just don't know if the books have room for him to be a part of what they do. And it does feel like he is maybe more acutely aware of that. And I, I don't know where that leads you to. Like, can he just be a deadly catch and shoot guy? If he can, that's great. But you need to get him more looks and he needs to take more looks. Um, If it's going to be crucial for him to take some pull-up trees, he's going to make some, well, then you're going to have to let him kind of do some of that. Part of where I'm coming from is as much on the books as it is him, but it is, okay, yeah. you, you brought him back. I personally don't understand why, but if you're going to do that, you've kind of got to throw him a bone and play to his strengths too so he can have the best chance of doing what he's good at because if you're going to try and kind of make him do things that aren't necessarily his forte i don't know i don't know if he's winning out of it i don't know if you're winning as the books um javon is tough really tough um some good defense some very active hands i think would be the the biggest plus 1.7 steals per game so far in 21 minutes very impressive Sadly, that is kind of where the impressive stuff ends at the moment. 2.3 turnovers to two assists per game. The shooting has not been there. 37.5% from the field, 20% from deep. I don't like this starting lineup, and I think it may free up Javon to be a better version of himself by going to the bench. Um, at the Maybe the challenge here, Wes Matthews was a bit knocked up coming into preseason end the preseason into the regular season like is that something that they're still west is only averaging 18 minutes per game do they not want to stretch him out further could he be the logical person within the kind of approach they are taking uh, like george with his performance is logical but i also they need some punch off the bench and i don't think you can take george hill out of the bench unit right now yeah this is the the well of options is not particularly flowing. Um, George is the obvious answer, but you lose kind of the steady hand, the ballast, right? That's yeah. a word. Is a word. Um, from, from the bench. Um, and yeah, I think that's actually a bigger point than what I've seen made about, you know, Wespa's time. They already lost, or Chris was obviously out. Packets lost for three weeks, um, maybe a little bit more, depending on his recovery. You're already down two particular men or you know options there, and then West is banged up, so it's just a matter of not over um, utilizing West and watching his minutes and kind of making sure he stays fresh throughout the entire season. So you're gonna take your lumps with Grayson and Javon struggling as much as they happen um yeah i it's not it's not particularly pretty um the bucks are a different team when they do not have that starting five out there or you know i, I hate to keep singling out them or grace and javon because it's they are very much lumped together and how much they have been struggling um whether that would look different with one or the other on the bench um i don't know but the problem still remains the same that Javon, he has not been hitting shots. His defense, yes, has been great and needed for guys like Drew, even Wes, when he's sharing the floor with him. <clears throat> but I, this is the kind of 
than I was expecting when they got Javon last year. And then he turns into this, you know, he's shooting 50%. Yeah, and, the shooting was the surprise, really. Yes. And it was always going to be the big question. And it's there's lots the of time, and hopefully it does hold up this year. But that's probably the biggest question hanging over him coming into this season and now being under contract with the books. Yep. Yeah. When is it, you know, eventually meet in the middle um, where it's not that he's shooting the lights out and then he's... Oh, yeah. Where, when do you do the Bobby thing? It's like, it's not an outlier. Yes. It's just you're doing it consistently enough that's, yeah, I guess this is who he is now. Yep. Yep. It's the life of an NBA role player and sometimes it's not pretty. So um, maybe in Javon's case, when things are right, when Pat comes back, when Chris comes back, can that spark be reignited when you're coming off the bench, maybe just playing 18 minutes a game, which is largely what he's been playing, but like just kind of, I don't know. I don't know if it that would help, but certainly there's nowhere else but to go up for John. For sure. Um it largely feels like that's also still the story for the books and they're Trino and the only undefeated team left in the NBA. They have not been at their best. The defense has been truly phenomenal. I have real hope though, that this is a version of the defense we're going to see throughout this season. And I just think last season will have stung Bud and the coaching staff significantly in that front because it's just been core to what they do. But I also think the players like it was so tied up to their identity and there's no doubt that how they went out against the Celtics, like that's the thing that really does force a change in defense. And it may just linger in these books players head long enough that it's like, no, we, we really want to reset and we want to show all seasons so that that doesn't happen again when the lights are brightest and we find ourselves in a game seven situation. So it's going to be interesting to watch that unfold. Um, up next, probably before you hear from us again, I'm going to guess they're going to have played the Knicks and the Hawks and the Pistons. Look, the Knicks could be competitive. The Hawks are pretty good. The Pistons, they the start is slow, Jordan, but they're coming, right? Just trust me on that. A lot of season left to get those 40 wins. Um, <laughs> don't know if they're going to get them against the Bucks. Don't think so, but a lot of season no. left. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I think it's another good run of games for the books. Um, even I think in terms of some of what they have available, it's a good group of matchups. The Hawks being the best of the teams, um, not best positioned to hurt you for not having your full strength wing depth at your disposal at the moment. Um, when you're playing a bit more guard heavy than usual, I think the Hawks are a team that you know it makes sense, and also. If we talk about Javon, a lineup changes. Wouldn't expect anything before the Hawks game. Because I do think Javon and Drew to go up against Trey and DeJounte makes quite a lot of sense. Yeah. But we'll see how that goes. Great start for the books. Great to have books basketball back. Great to have books basketball back and to see the team winning. How long may it continue? That does it for us. We'll be back to you all very soon. Uh, I think we'll try to have a mailbag. We haven't had a mailbag in a while. Mm. So we'll we'll aim for the next episode to try and time that one out so we can get a mailbag call in. So keep an eye out for that on our Twitter. That is winning numerical value six podcast. Of course, you should subscribe to the Eurostep podcast network. That's where you'll find every episode of winning six and also every episode of the Eurostep with Ty and Rohan. All your books coverage, everything you could want and need here on the one feed.
across the wider Eurostep podcast network. Jordan, you, I believe, in an episode that is probably out, or if not, will be available for people very, very soon by the time they listen to this. You and Numak previewed uh, what is not at all a terrifying Packers game this weekend against the Buffalo Bills on Talk of the Tundra. So for all your Packers talk, you can go and subscribe to Talk of the Tundra. Um, cruising for a bruising. We'll be back, I think, next week from our, you know, our brief <sighs> exhale after the Brewers season finished. Andrew and you were, you're in the podcasting lab. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, no, I was, just, I was focusing on the books. That's really what happened. And make time for this, our feed for pop culture and other things. Um, all things going strong there. On Friday, next episode dropping there, Andrew and I will be talking about some 60s horror movies. So if you're looking for any horrors to watch in the final row up to Halloween, we'll have some recommendations for you there. What are plans? Come, we're going to get Jordan on soon. I think we're going to talk with the new Arctic Monkeys album. Um, I think the bear, the TV shows on the agenda over there. A couple of movies. We've got some stuff cooking. So make time for this. Go and subscribe there as well. GSPN.info. You'll find all of our links. You want to get in the Discord? That will probably get you the the biggest heads up for when we're going to be on playback. If you want to watch books games with us, if you want to check out the merch store. We're going to have some new designs uh, dropping there very, very soon. Want to rate and review all of our podcasts, which of course we'd love your five-star ratings and reviews. You can find the links to do all of that right there. That does it for us for this time. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.